Welcome once again to the Football Attic Podcast. This is episode number four, and uh, this week we're going to talk about Sabutio. But before we get on to that, I just obviously have to introduce my good friend, Chris Oakley. How are you, Chris? Oh, good, thanks, Rich. Yes, and yourself? I'm not too bad, mate. I'm not too bad, despite having to uh, get up early to record this, you know. The last time it was, what, four o'clock in the morning, and now it's, what, yeah. pff, 20 to 11. Man, what, kind of, <laughs> what kind of slave driver are you, Chris? I'm sorry. If you're if you're looking for the sympathy vote from our listeners, it's you're spreading it a little bit thin now. I have to say. <laughs> well, I suppose they're all at work, but you know, well, they're they're, they're idiots then for not taking that time off like <laughs> I did. Ha 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 ha. There you go. Yes, more fool you, eh? Indeed. So, uh, what have you been up to since in the incredibly long span of time since we last had a podcast? <laughs> was it like three days or something? So yeah. I think it was. Yes. And we should adopt this policy from now on, just like record our podcasts in pairs, just so that people kind of know what to expect. Um, I, believe, I believe it's how they do that in the film industry. They tend to film things back to back or something to save money. Oh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, see, well, we've just got that sort of genius gene in us, so we just <laughs> know how to do these things. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, since we last spoke, oh, I don't know really. I'm not sure that I've um, put on anything on, on Football Attic since we last spoke. I'm kind of working on something just for what it's worth, uh, which will hopefully go on in the next day or two because it's going to be FA Cup third round day um, in what, a day or two's time, depending on which hemisphere you're in. Um, so um, I'm working on something which has got a bit of an FA Cup theme which hopefully uh, listeners will uh, will see on, on our site in the next day or two. But uh, that's kind of what I've been up to. Um, what about yourself? Uh, well, I actually wrote an article. Yay! So you did! <laughs> I did, yes. I wrote an article for The Attic, which is, what, my first in about two or three months, uh, which was all about the Arena 2000, which was what uh, Coventry's Rico Arena was originally planned to be when we were A, in the Premiership, and B, bidding for the World Cup. Which yes. uh, neither of which continued really. Both of those things came to Shame. an end. Mm. Yeah. Um, and uh, other than that, well, the football attic annual arrived in the post yesterday, <laughs> and it looks rather bloody good. I have to say myself, even if I did lose an entire weekend and nearly a marriage to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got to say the the reaction just from seeing the cover on on Twitter has been tremendous, and um, just goes to show you can fool most of the people all of the time. <laughs> Um, no, no, it does look terrific. I've got to say, and um, I mean, I know from uh, the having the benefit, somebody, somebody, in fact, two good friends of mine, actually, uh, Terry DeFellon and Graham Sibley, actually printed out and uh, created a book of some of my work from previous uh, blog sites that I've done. It's just amazing, actually, holding a book in your hand of stuff that you've written the content for. It's an amazing feeling. So um, I'm sure that's what you've uh, been uh, feeling in the last uh, day or two since that arrived. Great Indeed, stuff. yeah. I, mean, I was I was hoping that it would turn out as as good as my awesome design had made it look, uh, and it did. It's it fantastic. Did. I am awesome. It's a, the subtitle <laughs> of that. Um, to all the people that were asking about it on Twitter, originally I'd planned this just as a sort of uh, a mini Christmas present for me and Chris, uh, just to sort of to reward ourselves for all our brilliance and hard work mm. and modesty. Um, because we're worth it. Exactly. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. Like that advert, which I can't quite currently remember. Um, <laughs> But um, there's obviously been quite a few people asking if we're, if we're if it's for sale. Uh, like I say, I wasn't planning to, um, but uh, we can do some if people are interested. Uh, the mm. only caveat I would say is that as it was only a small present for me and Chris, it is only 30 pages long, so it's not like <laughs> it's a huge article. Um, you know, with everything we've done in it, it's literally about there's about 22 articles in there that we've sort of handpicked as our favourites from what we've done. Uh, since we started yeah. so if anyone is interested uh, do contact us because we will you know we will 
sort of make it happen, but they're likely to be about 15 or 16 quid. So for 13, pa- sorry, yeah, for about 30 pages, um, it is a hardback, you know, but it's mm-hmm. it's whether you th- subsequently on hearing that information whether you feel it is worth it. But like <laughs> I say, do get in touch and we will see what we can do. Um, yes. And other than that, I suppose we ought to talk about Sabutio, Chris. Yes, Sabutio is the is the topic for this for this podcast. This is something which um, really looking forward to talking about because it's uh, certainly something that's responsible for claiming a large chunk of my youth. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot, a large chunk of most people's youth of of our similar age, Chris. Uh, right. So my my first obvious question then, Chris, is how did you actually get into Sabutio in the first place? Um. Well, I, I must admit, I don't remember like any specific um, landmark moment where I don't know somebody handed over to me a, a you know, a, a set or something like that, and sort of said, "Here you are, son. This is yours. Look after it for me," or anything like that. It was just the my earliest memory of Sabutio in any shape or form is I've got this sort of memory etched onto the back of my brain of me sort of laying on my bed in my bedroom, uh, in my old uh, parents' house. Um, probably at the age of about nine or something, and staring across to the other side of the room where there was a wardrobe, and on top of that wardrobe was a green box. And that green box uh, was a Sabutio Club Edition set. And I must have got that from my mum and dad for a you know a birthday present or a, a Christmas present, something like that. And it was that was my introduction to um, Sabutio. I just can't remember specifically when I received it or even exactly what age I was at the time. But um, as I'm sure many people know that have played Sabutio and collected stuff for it, it's 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 your entry level set. So you get a couple of goals, a pitch, a couple of teams, a couple of footballs, one white and one orange. I think it was um, some corner flags, which I think were orange in my set. And uh, that was kind of it, and that was that was enough to get you started. And um, it, uh, I, I, I'm not sure that I would have played it very much in the first year or two because I'd have been, as I say, maybe only about nine, and I didn't have many friends at the time who who wanted to play it or were interested in it. But it wasn't for me, I don't think, until I got to the age of about eleven or twelve that I then started hanging around with other kids who were very interested in playing it, and um, one. Uh, mate of mine whose name was Alan Young, not the uh, Leicester City uh, striker, by the way, anybody listening in, Leicester fans, <laughs> I'm not talking about him, he was older than me, um, but uh, another Alan Young, and I used to go around to his house quite often of a weekend and, and take all my stuff because he didn't have Sabutio, so we'd go around there and, and we'd you know do tournaments and matches and all the things that probably everybody else did and just wasted Sorry, that's not the right word to use. Um, and, and passed hour after hour just enjoying playing Sabutio, and it was wonderful. I mean, just really happy memories. Um, so that is essentially that's how I got into Sabutio. What, what was your 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 experiences there, Rich? I think I think the funny thing you you sort of first start off with there, Chris, is is the same sort of thing for me. There wasn't any one specific event. I think it it was almost like kind of the background noise of of football. If you were into football at all, you were just mm. aware of Sabutio, um, yeah. and there wasn't. Like any sort of specific event that triggered it. I think for me, um, <coughs> I hate to go on about it again, but you know it's it's going to be Mexico '86, isn't it? <laughs> um, that well, actually, I, I was aware of it before that because um, the toy shop that we used to go to in Coventry, a place called Barnby's, which had a little bear as its logo. Anyone that remembers, anyone from Coventry that remembers that, it was I just feel up like the ra- I've seen it myself. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just up the ramp behind the co-op. That's where it was, just there. Turn right. I think it's a bank now. Um, <laughs> there, there you go, Shame. fans. Um, and they had in in the sort of entrance to their shop, 
they had uh, like a display case, um, quite mm. a large display case with loads of different toys in it. And the first thing that you came to on the left was all the Sabutio stuff. And that's where I first saw the World Cup trophy. Because um, they had, I Which think, that, the FA Cup and the League Cup in the window. So it was like, kind of, ooh, what's this? You know. So, mm. like I said, I, I kind of, <coughs> excuse me, I had um, awareness of it, um, but without having any interest in it at the time. Mm. So when I did get into football, the interest in it was already kind of there um, yes. and I think I didn't get immediately into Sabutio because it kind of looked a bit nerdy not that I'm saying <laughs> I wasn't a nerd at all but you know it kind of it looked a bit it looked quite serious as well and I think I was more into the you know the whole joy of football at the start so like the Sabutio thing looked you know it looked really kind of serious and kind of oh that's what you know people who are really into football sort of mm. do yeah. and then over time as I got more into football um, the natural desire to want to own little plastic versions of your own team sort of takes <laughs> over. And I think yeah. what it was, I think one day when I went in there, <clears throat> I think it was the time that I asked to see if they had the, the World Cup, um, and they didn't, causing <laughs> endless disappointment. Um, they had, uh, they were giving away the wall charts, so I had, ah. I think it was the 1986 one, <clears throat> um, yeah. So I had that wall chart, and um, it was obviously that's one of the, the sort of the big fold-out ones. So that that used yeah. to be great because I used to stare at that, look at all the different teams' kits and everything like that. Um, but the perennial disappointment was that um, the Coventry one was always like a season or two behind. So oh, right. even when we were playing in blue and white stripes when we won the cup, it was st it was still the sort of previous one from the the season Hummel. before. The, yeah, no, it was the the Umbro one. Oh right, okay. Yeah, the um, the kind of. It's very dark colour, sort of blue and darker blue sort of stripes with pinstripes as well. Yeah. So they always had the previous season's um, kit. They all seem to be very slow in updating things. So Coventry were never quite up to date. And it that always kind of bugged me. I think, like I said, the bigger teams seem to sort of get updated a bit quicker. Um, mm. And it always annoyed me as well. I mean, this is just the one of those things that constantly got on my nerves as a child. If you followed like a big team like Liverpool or Arsenal, you would always get better things than if you followed a smaller team like Coventry yeah because it's like even down to the Sabutio level the um, the kits that they had like I said apart from not being updated often enough for my liking they uh, the Liverpool ones had their sponsors on so you would have a Liverpool uh, kit yeah. and it would have crown paints on the front and of That's course right. Coventry's didn't you know it, it <laughs> didn't have Granada Bingos or Granada Social Clubs or Glazetta <laughs> or whoever the hell we were sponsored by at the time um, so I always found that slightly irritating but <clears throat> I wasn't going to complain too much I think so, you had it tough. You had it tough when you were younger. I mean, you, you couldn't even buy your own club shirt from from a, from an average sports shop, and, and you couldn't get the exactly. Sputa team from an average toy shop. But at least you know, since then, you know, being a Cov fan has been nothing but joy. <laughs> they made up for all those barren years. <laughs> yeah. The frustration. Yeah, by constantly winning the Premiership and not being <laughs> relegated ever. Yes, and qualifying um, for Europe. Indeed, yeah. So, like, like I say, for me, it was just kind of always there. And I think I first started getting into it. I think they had like a, um, a bargain bin of stuff that they were selling off, and they had mm. like a, an old, um, just a like generic white team, which I sort of thought, oh well, you know, I think they were selling it for fifty p or something, you know. And I thought, mm. well, you know, I'll take the risk with it. I'll buy. It. I didn't have uh, a pitch or anything, <coughs> but mm. I thought, well, I'll buy that. And I don't even know what I use for a ball either. Um, but <laughs> so I think I might have bought... I think they had a couple of those in the bargain as well. So I bought a couple of balls and, and just one team. 
um, which you know made for great entertainment. You know, playing just training sessions or something. Mm. But, <laughs> but I think it was enough to sort of spark the sort of thing of like, oh, actually, yeah, I quite like this. I quite I like owning the little plastic men and and their nice football kits. So uh, I think <laughs> from there it kind of grew. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, actually, you mentioned about the playing on your own, because I was going to say we put out a, a message not so long ago just asking people if they had any uh, memories of their own about Subutio. Um, and we had a, a message, I'm just looking here, uh, somebody, it was, oh yeah, I beg your pardon, it was Andy Howler, Built a Wolf, I think that's his name on uh, on Twitter, who uh, got in touch with us and said, did you ever play Subutio on your own for hours on end? Uh, he said, I did. I was a lonely child. I once snapped Peter Beardsley in his Newcastle days. After the superglue was applied, he was my go-to free kick taker. Uh, we'll probably be coming on to um, enforced injuries uh, and all that later on. But um, yeah, I think I kind of, I dabbled a little bit playing Subutio on my own. I just got a little bit bored with it, I think, and and just I think there are probably some games that lend themselves better to being able to play them on your own. Um, and uh, but um, yeah, luckily for me, I was sort of able to uh, stumble upon some friends who who wanted to play too. But um, and did you did you end up in ever getting any of the sets? Any like I was saying about the club edition? Did you ever have any of those? I didn't know. Um, I think in my one of my I think the first ever blog post I wrote on the attic was was about buying the um, the World Cup World Cup trophy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, might have mentioned it once or twice. Um, <laughs> I think in there I mentioned there was a set that I was going to buy in Woolworths, um, which had been there for a while, which had the trophy in it, and it had a lot. I think it was a really odd edition. It was one that you hmm. that I'd never seen anywhere else before, and I think that's why it was on sale there because I think it obviously it was like stock they'd bought in from somewhere else that was like stuff that had been discontinued years before. Um, mm. But I missed out on it because the day that by the time I saved up my pocket money, it had sold, so I never <laughs> got it. I think I think it was the international edition. Um, uh, but other, other than that, I don't think I ever bought any of the editions because I'd I'd kind of built up over time, so there, there wasn't there wasn't really any point. And I, what mm. I was annoyed me as well is the club edition annoyed me because it looked really cheap. I didn't like the goals <laughs> in it, and it was just the two generic teams, neither yes. of which were sky blue. So who cares? <laughs> no um, good with that. No. And then I, got, I suppose I got more into the sort of nerd aspect of, it, of the collecting <laughs> things like that. Um, so I would I would then go for specific things. I did I did accessorise a hell of a lot though, um, mm. uh, which is actually yeah you had to didn't you really? really <laughs> it was all kind of part of the thing really. But actually going back to your point, I I did play mostly on my own because my brother who was about four years older than me didn't have any interest in football at all. He'd occasionally mm. like play me anyway just you know to see but he soon got bored because <laughs> a he wasn't interested in the game and b because i'd played on my own a lot more i would usually beat him so <laughs> he wouldn't he wouldn't play much i didn't really have any friends that were into sabutio i had friends who were into football but none of them were that into sabutio uh, so right. yeah i actually spent most of my time playing on my own as well you just needed a good imagination and and a running commentary in your head Oh, I did, did certainly did the commentary if I was playing with a friend of mine. We we both did. It was just I mean, I'm almost ashamed to admit it, but you just did. You know, it was just that kind of added to it. But uh, yeah, yeah. That, that that is weird, Chris. You know, d- doing that on your own <laughs> in a room is is normal, but doing it okay. with friends is just strange. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, I used to, used to sort of you know do these um, sort of Jim Beglin uh, impersonations where I was basically um, completely disaffected by every aspect of football whatsoever. But um, <laughs> yeah, my my mate got a bit fed up with that, so I had to change tack. Did you get told off if you ever did Jonathan Pierce because like you just <laughs> scream at every single possible thing that happened, <laughs> Jonathan? <laughs> yes, if you're listening. <laughs> Sorry, I got sidetracked there into my Jonathan Pierce rant. <laughs> Sorry, lost it there for a moment. Yes. Yeah, I was uh, actually thinking yesterday on a completely different 
note that mm. they should rename Aguero to uh, he should actually change his name to Aguero <laughs> so that whenever commentators say it they feel at least justified for saying it because I think someone commented on Twitter the other day that every time he takes a shot they all shout Aguero like they did when he scored um, in the last uh, game of the season last That's year right, Martin Tyler yes Yes, and it's like they're all desperately hoping that he'll do it again. And it's like so. I think he should actually just change his name to that, so that every time he touches the ball, they have to say it. And then, that, and if he does score, then they have to do it for four minutes, which Jonathan Pierce would do anyway because he thinks he's Brazilian. He's not. Sorry, well, well, sorry, what are we talking about again? Nurse, he's out of bed again. Yeah, give me the pills. Right. Uh, so, actually, so I'm, I think, I'm completely. I, I must admit, I'm. I'm, I'm uh, consistently amused by a comment by our mutual friend Graham Sibley who uh, a while back said um, it's just as well that all the commentators refer to him as Aguero as opposed to Cun because it could have had a whole new meaning on that commentary when he scored that last goal but anyway where were we? Um, I think we were talking about Sabutio at some point today <laughs> Yes, I don't know when um, yeah so I did spend a lot of time um, playing on my own and I think that was the reason that I then did buy a lot of the accessories because it was then all about you know making the game as realistic as possible but I didn't have the space to set it up permanently I know quite a few people would paste their um, pitch onto a board or something and I never did mine was permanently folded up and I Mm. never ironed it either so my pitch permanently (laughs) had wrinkles in it until I bought the AstroTurf version but we'll come to that later but yeah Yeah. so my a lot of my whole Sabuto experience wasn't necessarily playing the game it was more about almost recreating the whole atmosphere of a you know, football. So I'd, hmm. um, I would spend a lot of time, you know, like getting the fences and I, the amount of time, yeah. ri- really ridiculously. <laughs> People think they spent a lot, I wasted a lot of time playing it. I wasted a lot of time just setting the damn thing up. <laughs> well, we, well, my tactic uh, was because um, I had a few of those bits and pieces, and uh, including the fence around. And um, the, our, our approach, me and my mate Alan, was that we wouldn't bother with most of it. Um, unless we got to the day when we had to play like the final of a tournament that we'd been playing for the last few weeks, in which case, obviously, to add us to you know a sense of uh, occasion to the thing, we would then get the whole shooting match out, all the little figures, the trainers, the the all the people warming up on the sidelines, and uh, and we'd just put it all out. But that was the only occasion. Otherwise, it all just kind of stayed, as you say, folded up or packed away in boxes and things. <laughs> but sound a bit of a fraud for saying that. But there you go. You know, you have to kind of you know <laughs> take this approach sometimes. Well, quite. And actually, the funny thing is, going talking about accessories, um, we had a response from um, from Gary at um, Got Not Got. Um, oh yes, who mentioned obviously the the article that they'd written in in their fantastic book, which is available at all good bookshelves uh, shops and very cheaply on Amazon, I might say. Yeah. Um, they mentioned one particular accessory in their article, which was the crowd barriers. Mm. Um, article number C one seventy. Which is very strange to look at from, I suppose, from nowadays, from point of view, because this literally was, you know, kind of a fence for hemming in the crowd, as they used to have in the 80s. Um, and but to see that, obviously, with um, with what ended up happening at Hillsbury, it's almost quite, a sort of, you look at it, and it seems almost like a sort of sick accessory, because it's kind of, there's mm. that sort of thing, it tends to be only associated with with tragedy these days um, but it's yeah. very bizarre to think you could actually buy that and I suppose it almost makes the statement of how football was seen in the 80s that that was a legitimate accessory to produce because mm. it was just so normal to fence people in yeah that was part of the game as it was at the time yeah yeah 
And yeah, I mean that's that's to great credit to Subuti. I mean, you sort of say what you like, and, and I know you wrote an incredibly successful um, blog post uh, for the Football Attic about the five worst Subutio items, and obviously a lot of sort of tongue-in-cheek stuff about you know uh, there were there were items that you could buy which seemingly had no no real kind of purpose or a sense of function um, about it. But putting all that to one side, you cannot deny the fact that Subuto really did try and add a sense of realism to this uh, and because they i think they knew that it all added to uh you know the, the the imagination of the kids that were playing it and it would encourage them to buy more stuff because they were they weren't just buying cheaply made rubbish they were buying stuff which looked real and and yeah attention to detail it's all about that with the, with the crowd barriers i mean i never owned any i never bought the crowd barriers myself i did have have a, a section of stadium <laughs> so grandstand thank you very much just <laughs> just rubbing my fingernails on the top of my shirt here um yeah and but I, um it was a something that was donated to me but that's, that's perhaps another story but um um yeah very good actually uh the the whole crowd barriers thing and and um as gary uh wrote for forgot not got it was just it was just some some way for them to hold a mirror up to the way the football was in, at the time. I think the interesting thing also that he's mentioned in the article is the um, is the crowd, the spectators you could buy. <laughs> I mean, that was a perennial source of, an- of uh, annoyance for me as a child because the, it was so expensive. You could buy, I think it was a, I think they sold them in packs of, was it 25 or 50 unpainted figures, yeah. which was great if you wanted your stadium to look like you just had slightly knobbly seats because they were the same colour as the terracing. <laughs> Um, or you could buy a pack of, I think it was about five, or f- either five or ten painted yes. figures. Yeah. But they, they all seem to be from the 1950s, you know. I mean, they were painted in the most drab <laughs> colours. And uh, I think, as you pointed out, Chris, earlier, when we were looking at the pictures that Gary sent over as well, there's, um, there's uh, one guy right in the middle of a crowd who seemed to be jubilant, albeit in their tank tops. There's a guy with a, a, a nice brown overcoat and a trilby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as seen at all modern yeah. football grounds these days. <laughs> I think they died out in about 1972 at modern football exactly. games. But Mind yeah, you, these days, enough. I suppose you could just literally get some old broken um, Sabutier players and stick them in the crowd because of the amount of people wearing the replica kits. <laughs> oh, yeah, good idea. How about that? Get that letter sent off to the, the modern days of Sabutier people. Yeah. <laughs> you could be onto a fortune there if they market that. Yeah. I, I... Brilliant idea. Um so actually, I mean, in terms of accessories, what what would you say your favourite accessory was? Because I, I know, from my point of view, there were certain things that I had coveted, you know, from the uh, the, the catalogues and the the posters for mm. a while, and and then would eventually buy it. Often they would end up very disappointing, um, and sometimes they yeah. would actually, you know, fulfil your expectations. So what I would say to you, what are your what was your favourite one, and, and possibly also what's out of things you bought, what was the most disappointing one? <laughs> well, as as part of the preparation for this for this podcast, because we don't just throw this together, everyone. I do. Um, I did actually. <laughs> I I went online and found uh, one of the many excellent Subutio websites that have been set up by fans uh, of the game over the years, and I was just trying to basically jog my memory through those websites of the, the the stuff I had, and I've got a long list, well, longish list here of, of all the accessories I had, and I would have to say. Uh, and I don't quite know why, but just probably my favourite accessory was um, the um, scoreboard, the stadium scoreboard, the uh, one that was created, I think, in about 1978. I think they made it and um, sold it. It was essentially the black um, scoreboard as opposed to the old kind of brown, almost like a sort of village cricket style scoreboard that they used to have many years ago in the 50s and 60s. Uh, they updated it in the late 70s with this one that was supposed to look like an electronic scoreboard. 
And the reason I loved that is because it it had a true sense of purpose. I mean, I would use it. I was saying earlier on about you know would only get some of the special stuff out on the days when we were playing finals and what have you. Uh, but the scoreboard would always come out every single time we played Subutio because I just loved it. And and I'm sure um, you'll know this as well, Rich, is that when you got that scoreboard in the box when it was handed over to you, you would open the box, take the scoreboard out, and of course there was one other item in the box, which was? Uh, well, can you remember? T- technically there were, there were two items, because there was the legs for the stadium. Uh, sorry for, oh, well, for sorry the, the scoreboard. Yes, yes, of course the legs. <laughs> Are yes. you referring to the, the cards with all the actual names on yes. it? Yes. And and the cards, the, the reams of thin cardboard that were inside, which had the names of all the teams you could possibly get for Subutio on the off chance that you might be playing as a Cypriot second division team. Um, it was all there. And of course, you had to cut them all up. But you th- sort of thought, I don't care. This is just so tremendously exciting. I've got names of teams here that I've never even heard of. Winterthur, there's one off the top I've of my head. I've heard of them. Uh, They're well to, popular. Yeah, you want, <laughs> You'll need to check one of uh, Richie's early articles to find a reference of that one. Uh, but, um, you know, just all these clubs and countries, and you would just willingly cut these strips up and then obviously uh, fit them into your scoreboard depending on who you're playing as. And a very simple thing, it had little numbers on. Um, in fact, all the numbers and letters on the scoreboard were printed out in this kind of dot matrix style thing, again, let's say to make it look like the. the um, light bulbs that were used on those scoreboards back in the day and the little dials on the side so you could turn the the numbers around and, and just obviously you had to keep your fingers crossed you didn't score any more than nine otherwise you were completely stuffed but you know you overlooked that little shortcoming um that i think that would just have to be my my favorite just because it had a true sense of purpose it was very simply made but it had a little sort of innocent charm about it it was wonderful what would you go for out of your your personal favourites. I, I would have to, just going back to the scoreboard for a sec, the, the, in terms of the hmm. uh, the obscure names that you got, it, I, I, I think I included that in my top five uh, Sabutio items for uh, the article yeah. that, that we both wrote a top five, and I think that was in mine. Yep. Um, and actually having found it, because I found all my stuff in the garage recently, and, and looking at some of the names, I think the, the, the two that I particularly mentioned in the article were Ards and Simmering. Neither of which I have ever heard of. And there was the most obscure names on there that are unbelievably obscure. Um, And just some of the the bizarre tournaments they had up there as well. And they they even included their own Sabutio Cup, which was obviously a generic one you could use for whatever you wanted. But the one thing I did Mm -hmm. notice is that they didn't have Friendly down. That wasn't... Oh, no, of course they didn't. No, no. no. So obviously in Sabutio world, it was do or die, you know. (laughs) (laughs) thing is a Friendly. Oh no, as we both know, no indeed. Um, I have to say, just um, while we're on the subject of um, strange foreign-sounding teams, um, purely because I have the uh, sense of humour of a five-year-old, uh, in my research earlier on today I was looking on um, a website that listed kind of all the uh, different teams and the kits that you could buy, and it listed you know, which, which teams uh, were associated with which kits. Uh, numerical and alphabetical listings and all that kind of stuff and um, I happened to stumble upon the name of a Norwegian team whose name was Frigg now I mean F-R-I-double-G now here we are we're talking about you know shirt sponsors like Wang I mean like I think Frigg have been well overlooked and I think perhaps it's time we put some heat under that and and brought them back out of out of obscurity Um, but like I say that's just because I have the sense of humour of a five you want some you want some hot Frigg action <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but you know, if, if you're I'm always go here to fill road, the gap, then. so to speak. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord, uh, moving on again, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I, yes. I, I would say that my favourite accessory, and I, I think this is probably 
possibly the only accessory that actually ever exceeded my expectations was the Astro Pitch. Mm. Um, and that was purely because I got so annoyed playing on the, on the cloth thing, which I, I was like, because I never ironed mm. it, you know, it was always permanently rippled. And, you know, it, it was getting yeah. frustrating when the ball was just about to roll into the penalty area and then suddenly would hit a ridge and roll all the way back to the halfway line again. <laughs> <coughs> so I actually invested, I think... Um, one Christmas, my uh, my uncle was uh, he, he gave me about fifteen pounds um, um, pocket money or something like that was my present, mm. and I went to uh, to the shop and saw it there, and I don't think I'd seen it actually in the sh- in the shop before, and it was in a poster tube. I remember being surprised by that because mm. I thought that it was a kind of uh, does anyone anyone remember Test Match, the cricket sort of game? Oh yes. well, the, yeah. Well, the yeah. the sort of the surface for that was like a very very light um, sort of polyester thing, which never sort of rippled at all. Doesn't matter how much you folded it. And I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be like that. And then when I actually picked it up, it was like bloody hell, this is heavy. You know what is it? <laughs> and um, when I got it home, and you sort of pop the cap off the poster thing, you realise what it is. It's like a kind of um, like a vinyl backed flock wallpaper almost. It's like <laughs> it's a really yes. sort of heavy, expensive piece of kit. And the first time mm. I rolled it out, I thought, oh, God, you know, here we go. This is I was expecting it to be disappointing. And, you know, normally with these things, you spend a lot of money and you get it home. And it's like, oh, right, OK, that was a waste of money. And I rolled it out and it was just flat as anything. It was absolutely perfect. <laughs> and every time, it didn't matter how many times you rolled it up and got it back out again, every time it flattened out perfectly. And I was just, I just remember being astounded by it because I was at that age where you kind of realised that all the, the sort of promises that you see in adverts were all lies that it was all just to get you to, to buy their product, you know, and every time you would buy yes. something, you would be disappointed. And this this truly sort of, um, you know, exceeded all hopes that I had for this pitch. Admittedly, you know, I didn't have a huge amount of hope in my life at that point, clearly, as opposed to be so astounded by a piece of plastic. But it, it was really good, and, and it did provide an absolutely perfect playing surface for it. Um, and it. And thankfully, it wasn't the equivalent of plastic pitches at the time, whereby it was despised. You know, this was a quality product. Well, just um, we were talking earlier on about the uh, article in Got Not Got in their um, superb book, um, uh, the, the the article, and and the, there was a reference in there. That I'm not sure if it was Gary or or Derek, uh, the brains behind the uh, Got Not Got uh, legend uh, that wrote it. But basically, they were saying that again, it was it was uh, Sabuto trying to mimic real life and so this was the era of course when the likes of qpr luton and so on had artificial pitches installed so they brought out the astroturf pitch uh, but he sort of said you know it's it's kind of it it was made from slightly different baize cloth so it's unclear in what sense it was any more artificial than the original pitch but um i actually remember a, f- a friend of mine who I only sort of hung around with fleetingly back in the day when i was probably about 11 or 12 he had an astroturf pitch and i remember sort of thinking you know, all the fuss about the real AstroTurf uh, pitches, like the one at QPR, were that the ball bounced um, exceedingly higher, you know, in- incredibly higher and, and er- more erratically than on a normal pitch. And I thought, well, in Sabutio, the ball doesn't really bounce, so what's the benefit? But uh, yeah, as you say, it was because you had a nice smooth pitch and you didn't have to keep smoothing it out with your hand, as uh, me and Alan always did when we were playing. It did actually um, make it more controllable as well. And it, that's the bizarre thing with this Astro pitch. It actually made hmm. the ball bounce less. So with the original sort of cloth pitches, the ball did tend to skid around a lot uh, because there was very uh-huh. little friction. But this one seemed to it had, had a, a nice damping effect on it, um, which sort of hmm. just uh, just controlled the ball nicely and calmly, you know. 
Very nice too. Yeah. I'm just um, <laughs> I'm looking on eBay actually as we speak. There is one available for thirteen pounds fifty, um, which just goes to show that they've not lost a lot of value um, over the years. In fact, it may even be more expensive now than they were then. Um, so uh, you can still get them. Um, they are just. Uh, I'm not sure. I think by the time you you our humble listeners will go on to uh, eBay, it will have gone because I think it's, it's only got six hours left. But yeah. um, nice to see you can still get the old Astro Astro pitches. Um, I had loads of other um, stuff. I had um, I had the World Cup and the FA Cup. I had a little TV tower, the old fashioned one. Um, fence around, as I mentioned, photographers. Floodlights, of course, which I think were on your list of the top five worst yeah, items. I think I'll come that to that in a minute. Yeah. Disappointing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what else did I have? And just a trainer's bench, first aid set I had. Um, and a, a couple of different sets of footballs added, like a tournament football, which was basically your, your Adidas Telstar. And then they also had these other ones called FIFA footballs, which were the same, but instead of being solid hexagonal or pentagonal patches they were like the outlines and they were in like red blue and green which i thought were particularly fancy so um had those and i had um self-adhesive um number transfers as well which for, for a few of my teams which um i always thought um really set set some of the teams off very nicely indeed actually having the numbers on the back of the shirts uh, unfortunately one or two of them would come off usually during the course of a match so um therein you have the eternal dilemma about Subutio and its accessories. Indeed. Uh, I mean I I again included the <coughs> excuse me, the player numbers as my one of my top fives. Um because mm. they just added to the authenticity, despite the absolute nightmare they were to use and to get working. Um, yes. <coughs> but I was going to say, the one, one accessory that always really surprised me at the time um, was the, the dugout. Um, and the only reason being ah. is that I, I know it's purely probably because it was just happened to be made of perspex, but it was the only accessory that looked more modern than, than its time <laughs> yeah. because all of the other accessories yeah. in Sabutio were probably conceived in the 70s so by the time I rolled around to it in the mid 80s it was kind of everything looked very very dated I mean the grandstand was something mm. like out of the arc um, <laughs> and most of the things like you know like you say all the the, the um, like the guy the press guys would all be wearing you know kind of duffel coats things like that you know the, <laughs> yeah from the daily sketch exactly yeah so everything looked really <laughs> dated but the, the dugout was like a sort of perspex one it looked like one of the ones you'd see on the continent at the time um, oh yeah, so yeah. It, it was a really bizarre. I don't know if that was by design or if that was just purely because they happened. You know, Perspex was the easiest thing to make it out of. It just seemed really odd yeah. that in amongst all these accessories, which rooted it firmly in the sort of sixties and seventies, you suddenly had something which which kind of looked like it was ultra modern because that kind of um, yeah. dugout didn't really make an appearance. You know, on our screens probably till about well, Italia ninety, I think, because even then, even in like yeah. you know previous World Cups and tournaments, they still had very traditional ones. So it's very bizarre mm. to see this sort of really modern-looking accessory slap bang in the middle of the 1970s. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, you're absolutely you're spot on with that. I mean, that's exactly what I always thought, in the, and I think that's probably why I was so attracted to buy it because you look in, you'd wander into your local toy shop, and there it was, this this clear plastic, you know, perspex um, dugout. Whereas, as you say, back in the 70s, dugouts um, on the side of the pitch were more like, you know, old wooden bus stops that had just been kind of uprooted and plonked down in the middle of a football stadium. So, um, so yeah, it definitely had a kind of modern appeal. That, And um, I, I've also been wondering down the years why they did it like that. But um, I'd like to think it's just because they, they felt they had an obligation to at least try and look forward from time to time. Um, it's a bit like the, the TV tower I mentioned earlier on. The one I had was this kind of brown and grey thing. But they did actually update that uh, in the early 80s to this kind of scaffolding thing, which looked a lot better. Well, it looked a lot, lot more modern. 
Um, didn't look as traditional, but it's it did at least kind of show you know something more akin to the 1980s than the 1960s. So it's kind of you know take your choice on these things, I guess. It's um, I mean similarly, it'd be interesting to see how they do it now. But uh, you mentioned the floodlights a minute ago. Um, yeah, and they they updated those I think in the the late 80s, early 90s to sort of like a mm. you know kind of a pole version, whereas previously they'd been the sort mm. of you know very traditional scaffold type thing. Um, <clears throat> but Greek column, uh, they call yes, it, didn't they? The yes. Um, yes. And they look, they look nice. Um, although, of course, nowadays, you know, what are floodlight pylons? You just don't get them anymore. You know, it's interesting <laughs> to see how they do yeah. that. They'd have to integrate a series of LEDs along the strip of the uh, the grandstand or something. But but yes. that yeah. that the floodlights, I would have to say, probably would qualify as my most disappointing accessory altogether because yeah, they weren't absolutely. cheap. Um, they they no, were about, no. I think they were about fifteen quid as well. Um, which was yes. a lot in those days, children, when a uh, you know a loaf of bread was uh, three and six or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> three and six. <laughs> <doesn't> <laughs> no idea. You haven't got a clue what you're talking about, <laughs> have you? Let's be honest. What? Are you referring to that specific thing or the whole podcast <laughs> that we're doing here? You're right on both counts. Hit you with you know. your pre-decimal stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wouldn't remember that. Tell me, what was decimal days like, Chris? <laughs> I was born in the year we went decimal. Okay, so you're not going to catch me out on that one. <laughs> Whatever, Granddad. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I, I think I got them for Christmas one year, and I remember being really excited. You know, you sort of open the box, you know, going past the horrible polystyrene, you get them out with all the squeakiness that involved. Um, you construct <laughs> the thing, you know, with the, the sort of really flimsy-looking wires just poking into the top box there, and then you get like yeah. some massive D-sized batteries. Um, <laughs> Transformer. Yeah, I mean, they, I think I think originally that used to come with it, and then they decided they could sell that separately. So I had to run mine off That's D right. batteries, <coughs> and mm-hmm. you'd plug it in, you'd put the batteries in, and uh, you think, oh, this is fantastic. You know, you set your whole thing up, you you turn the lights <laughs> off, you flick the thing on, and you go, okay, right, um, I can't see anything. <laughs> Brilliant! You know, <laughs> someone appears to have put half a candle on here, you know, and they, they were so crap. They it was oh, so dark, you know. It's like, it like, and, and okay, you only got two, so you could argue that well, you needed four. But it's like even if you had four, you'd still be barely able to see the players, you know. It would be, <coughs> it was almost like some um, some far east betting syndicate had taken over and kind of just plunged yeah, into right. darkness <laughs> mid-match. <coughs> so I, I think they were definitely the most disappointing because I had such high hopes for playing, you know, proper floodlit football with the old uh, yeah. four shadows uh, on the pitch, but they were just <laughs> awful. They were, weren't they? they? I mean, literally in the end, they were just there for ornamental purposes, and they were very much in the uh, in the set that was uh, only brought out for for the finals of tournaments that we did. And uh, I just, I think, if I remember rightly, I mentioned earlier on about I, I had this kind of donation. Um, uh, I think I had two floodlights of my own, but um, I ended up having four because um, I, I just had this memory of when I was probably only about ten or eleven. We had a visit from this aunt who I'd never seen before. She was like a distant aunt on my dad's side. And um, she lived miles away. Hadn't seen her before. But she just turned up one afternoon. I think just kind of came over to see my dad and say hello. And as she walked into our front room, she was clutching these three bulging carrier bags. And she said, oh, you must be Chris. She said, there you go. These are yours. They're for you. I was like, right, okay. And she said, they're from my son. She said, uh, my son's things, he doesn't need them anymore. He doesn't, he's too old, he, he doesn't play with them anymore. I still didn't, still didn't know what she was talking about. But when I looked inside, one of the carrier bags had all the component parts 
for a section of the stadium grandstand, which was, yes, it looked bloody old-fashioned, but I just, you know, giving a kid a, a section of the stadium, if he was into Subutio, it was just like winning the lottery. It was just incredible. I just, suddenly my, my opinion of the thing just was transformed at a stroke. Uh, I thought it was the best thing ever. But I think in one of the other carrier bags was another couple of floodlights, which was like, you think, OK, well, I've got four now, and still they won't illuminate the pitch, so I will literally just bring them out for the final and um, we'll turn the lights off, maybe take a, a commemorative photo of the pitch, and then we'll just put all the lights back on and carry on as we were before. I mean, that was it was a shame, really, because they, they looked great. Um, probably disproportionately large, probably, I would imagine. But um, for all that, they looked great. Just um, probably need a bit of a, a revamp. And as you say, these days, with the, the, the technology that's around, they could make things far better, I should have thought. Well, yeah, I mean, it'd be a lot easier nowadays, like I say, just to include it, as most stadiums do have these days. It's just, uh, you know, mm. some sort of a series of LEDs along the front of the grandstand. But then, of course, you'd have yes. to have a grandstand. But even then, if, if ah. even if you had one grandstand with, with a series of LEDs on the front, that would still be brighter than four floodlights. <laughs> as um, of course, that then you're then getting into other territory there, as Gary Silk mentioned in Got Not Got in the in their Subutio article, is that if you actually did have a huge amount of money to spend on Subutio, which was highly unlikely, and you actually managed to buy all the requisite stands you needed to go all the way around the pitch, you'd probably need I can't remember how many it was now. It was probably about eight or twelve or something. You then couldn't reach over the top to place a beauty. So it kind of negates the whole thing. Really. That was one thing I was going to say. That was also with the floodlights. Is that they were a lot of the accessories that you had for Sabuto. While they looked great, they actually just got in the way of playing the game. <coughs> yes, I mean they did the grandstand especially because they were supposed to go right up towards the edge of the pitch. So you suddenly you lost a, the only way you could do it was by leaning over the thing and either sort of pivoting yourself over it or by leaning on the pitch itself which kind of <laughs> rendered the whole thing, you know, I was about to say unrealistic, but of course a giant leaning over <laughs> a stadium into the, the thing to <laughs> flick players is probably not based much in reality to start with, is it? <laughs> no, indeed, no. <laughs> Luckily your kind of imagination back then would have uh, masked all those little um, inaccuracies. But uh, I was just looking actually on, on his article, Gary, Gary Silk's article, and it's actually 16 stands he informs us, so um, that makes it sound even worse in some ways, but uh, would have looked good, but completely impractical. But that would have, that would have cost uh, a fortune, because they, they were not cheap oh, at yeah. all. I mean, nothing in Sabutio was no. cheap, to be honest, but the, the, the grandstands were, were incredibly expensive. Heavens above, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then if you wanted to fill them with the crowd... You're you're looking at like a you're looking at millionaire territory. <laughs> yes, I just that was just again the the one that was donated to me had a few already sort of stuck in there and some of them were a bit loose. The glue had kind of um, uh, not dried properly or whatever, and they were sort of rattling around in there. But I just thought I'm not likely to buy another one. I'm quite happy with this one. Thank you very much. Even though there's only six people sitting in there, uh, it's fine by me. Absolutely fine. It's pretty much like a cov game these days. <laughs> <laughs> Giant stadium, not <laughs> many people. Ah <laughs> oh dear, never mind. Oh, I mean, what about? I suppose time's cracking on. We need to keep an eye on the time. But um, what teams did you have out of interest? Because that's the other thing as, as well, of course. Aside from accessories. Well, the first two teams I had were the the unnamed white team, and then the team you referred to earlier of Winterthur, which was um, what that was was a uh, I think it was shoot or match or something. It had like again, and this is another example of lies in adverts. You know, kind of. <laughs> it had like send off for your free Sabutio team. I was like, oh, fantastic! You know, I'll have a second team. This is brilliant. And it, and it said in the advert, and I remember this clearly. It, like the, the words are burned into my brain. It says, "You may even get your favourite team," 
which was clearly a lie, <laughs> wasn't it? Because they, it was clearly <laughs> old stock they were getting rid of. You know, unless I had unless Winterthur <laughs> happened to be my favourite team, they play in, they play in the Swiss div- in sort of one of the Swiss divisions, I do believe, as being from Switzerland yes. as they are. Um, and I, I think, it was, and it's also in one of the, in the old days where you had the old twenty-eight days for delivery thing. And I waited about three mm. or four weeks for this thing to turn up. And I remember I got home from school, and I think it was a Wednesday, and it had been chucking it down all day. And obviously the uh, box had got very soaked on the postman's round. Oh. And as he put it through the letterbox, I think we'd had a, a new letterbox fairly recently, and it had like a really heavy sort of sprung letterbox. And so yeah. as he pushed it through, it basically just shredded the packet. So I remember oh. getting home, it's like, here's this thing, this packet, which just fell open in my hands. It was like, Winterthur, hooray, <laughs> who the hell are they, you know? And uh, it was like, if you could tell it was really old as well, because it was, uh, I think, the box was um, horizontal rather than vertical. And uh, the painting on oh, it was, okay. I don't know, it was, it was done by a four-year-old or something. But it was like, Winterthur <laughs> seemed to have uh, red and white stripes, but these guys looked like they'd been attacked with a machete. Because they just had three <laughs> three giant red gashes down their side. <laughs> oh dear. So, Wonderful but, image. Yeah, exactly. But other than that, I think then when I started buying my own, I had the England team. Um, I had Coventry City from 86, 87, and then the Hummel kit. And I also bought Aston Villa's Hummel kit as well, because um, I really like that design. Ah. Even though, obviously, Villa are our big rivals, or at least were when we were in the same division. Um, <laughs> and other than that, I didn't have that many. I had, I had Brazil... Um, and a couple yeah, of others, too. but not a huge amount. I didn't really buy that many teams. I, was, I think I was probably more into the accessories. But I think, I think from hmm. the sound of it, you had more than I did. So what, what did you have? Well, I, the thing was, I, I teased you earlier on uh, in exchanging emails when you said you only had seven teams. And I sort of said, oh, bless. Because I thought, mistakenly, as it turned out, that I had about 20 teams. And it wasn't until I did a bit of research and actually made a list that I found out it was more like 12 or 13. So I, <clears throat> I take that back, that uh, comment earlier on. Um, but um, my teams that I had, I had the red and blue teams from the club edition set. So basically think... Nottingham Forest and Everton, that was kind of what you had. The very first old teams, actually, because, of course, the thing with uh, having teams in Subutio uh, is, again, because you probably were on a limited budget, you only had a few teams. So, therefore, you, when you played a, t- uh, a game or if you'd organised a, a tournament of some sort, you would look at the teams you've got and you think, OK, if I go with just the teams that these really are, then I've only got maybe about four or five. But if we pretend that these kits look slightly like another team, then we might be able to kind of stretch out the number of teams available to us. So, so the red and blue teams, you could have the the, the red team could have been uh, could have been Nottingham Forest, Wrexham, Charlton, whatever. You know, you had lots of different ones there. Blue team could have been Everton or Cardiff or Ipswich. So that was all good, and that's you know, not even on the on the international teams. I think the red team could have been you know Austria away. Um, Denmark or whatever so yeah just endless possibilities there Um, I had the Liverpool team I had the Man United team I had Crystal Palace which I actually always really liked Um, I I just it was the it was basically the white kit with the red and blue diagonal sash which we mentioned when we both appeared on the uh, uh, Sound of Football podcast last year with Terry (laughs) Defoe That's right. That's the yes. As I said at the time, yeah, when you, we, we were doing a World Cup competition, you'd think mm, d- scrabbling around for some countries here, and you kind of look at this Crystal Palace, and you think, well, it's it's kind of like Peru. It's I know that Peru haven't got a blue diagonal stripe, but it's it's if I if I squint a bit, then you know I I can't see it. So um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but that was a really nice kit actually, that Crystal Palace one. Um, I had West Germany. Oh which yes, was, I had that uh, one. 
Yeah, that it sort of doubled up as it could be anyone from sort of Derby to Fulham to the Austria home kit or whatever, and lots of different purposes that could have um, been good for. Um, West Ham, naturally, because it was my my team. I, I had the, the the sort of mid to late seventies Admiral uh, kit with the chevron design. Um, good one that was. Uh, I had Brazil as well. I had Spain, which I'd forgotten about until earlier on today when I was doing this research. So that was a good one. And likewise, Watford. Um, these are all kind of random, mostly random choices in a way, apart from your Liverpools and your Man U's, who obviously were big teams at the time. Um, but I just, I must have just picked Watford because it was very colourful, you know, yellow, red and black, you know, a combination that you didn't sort of see very often in the, uh, in the football league or whatever at the time. Um, and, uh, the only other one, oh, I had, again, I'd completely forgotten about this only until like yesterday was, um, basically like a Tottenham team. It was a sort of white shirts blue shorts and white socks um very basic sort of no frills kind of kit but that could have been i think we used to play that as east germany back in the day kids when they used to be in east germany um and i think i had arsenal but i'm not sure um and the only other one i'll, I'll mention it was i had the west bromwich albion away kit now i've written about this on the blog site already there's a little bit of a story to that which is basically that one one day when i was a kid i was off off sick from school i think i must have had tonsillitis or something like that and my dad, bless him, um, must have been in his lunch hour or after work. He went off to the local toy shop and thought he'd get me a, a present, a sort of get well present. <laughs> he, I, as I've mentioned before, he wasn't really much of a football fan. So I, I can only guess he wandered into this toy shop in town and sort of said, um, I was thinking of getting a Subuto team for my boy. What do you suggest? And the, the shopkeeper must have just said, try this one. It's, it's, it's new in stock. And it was basically um, yellow shirts, blue shorts, yellow socks. And the shirt had blue horizontal pinstripes, which was very in vogue, very new at the time. And uh, I thought the world of my dad for that. He just sort of brought it home and said, there you go. He said, I hope you feel better. I hope that makes you feel a bit better. And so, um, yeah, and uh, ordinarily, I would not have even stood the remotest chance of buying that kit. But because he bought that, it was a special one for me. And, of course, I could then use it as Sweden (laughs) because it was yellow and blue. And therein lies the joy of the thing. So, So yeah, I had about 12 or 13. It was always Sweden versus Peru in your house then. Um, (laughs) I I actually had the Tottenham. It's quite funny. We had quite a few similar ones because it's jog memory. I had the Liverpool one as well, the Crown Paints one, um, mainly because most of my family are from Liverpool. So I I Mm -hmm. have history there, you know. Um, And I also had the Tottenham one. Uh, mainly so I could recreate the FA Cup final um, <laughs> and I also had the West Germany one but the West Germany one I had was the one from 88 which was the the really oh. funky one with the stripes going across the chest Yeah, um, yeah. but I'd never had Denmark 86 unfortunately oh they did actually because yeah, I was just going to say, what I was, in my research earlier on I noticed that they did eventually uh, towards the end of the 80s start doing like those very complicated um, detailed patterned shirts actually in Sabutio and I just think good grief I, I, I could only sympathize with the poor people that were in the factory having to paint the figures with this strange you know the the, the pattern that we've mentioned before on the uh, uh, on the Holland 88 kit or the Denmark you know with the half and half you know stripes and things Blimey, I don't think I'd have liked to have painted that well actually it's one thing that I was thinking about earlier with, like with the fact that Coventry's kits generally didn't have the sponsor on it, it was only the sort of top teams that did um, it's the fact that obviously I think that Coventry the blue and white stripes one that I had um, I think I mentioned the article also doubled up as Colchester and Pescara mm-hmm. um, nah. 
And that's the funny thing. Obviously, you could do that, but um, as sponsors mm. became more prominent and Sabuti started to feature them um, more on the kits, obviously the amount of teams mm. you could double up as would have dropped dramatically because, yes. you know, mm. if you've got crown paints on it, you can't pretend it's it's someone else as well. So obviously <laughs> they they kind of as they they, you know, they're heading towards realism sort of increased the the actual amount of versatility would have dropped. So I suppose that yes. would then ultimately increase cost. But I suppose the idea is that then you know you could sell more units because they'd uh, buy the different ones but yeah. and actually think about it, if they were if they obviously recently Sabutio has been if you like rebooted uh, excuse me because um, <laughs> it's been relaunched I think it's oh, I'm trying to think of who's bought it out um, it was a yeah I can't remember that's some some games company that I, I'm not hmm. too um, sure of really unfortunately sorry <laughs> um, and they've relaunched it um, and yes. they have got it's it, what they've tried to do with some it, they, they've tried to make some they've varied the players more so you've got that I think there's more like some about four or five different types uh, whereas obviously mm. in the Sabutio day the only variation you ever got was occasional sort of skin tone for Brazilian or Argentina or yes. something like that uh-huh. um, whereas nowadays yep. they've got different haircuts and uh, things like that you know I don't think they've got like a sort of Fernando Torres hairband or something but but <laughs> can you imagine such <laughs> exactly a but what they've done is obviously in, in the market today they've concentrated on on the sort of the key players so you've got like Chelsea and Man U um, and I think Liverpool in there as well um, so even mm-hmm. even the niche teams then uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> meow um, <laughs> Yes, but I was going to do that joke on the last podcast, funnily enough. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, so it's it's interesting to see because I know that they, it did get relaunched by Waddington in the sort of mid nineties with a sort of Premiership yes. feel to it, um, and they tried mm-hmm. it then. Um, but I think what they did then was they went back to the sort of um, I think what they tried to do is they had like photorealistic things. So it was actually instead of being like three dimensional players, I think they went to f- they went back to what was the original sort of style of Sabutio, which was oh, the, yeah. the flat sort of cardboard inserts. But what they had right. was they had pictures of the actual players on them. So they would have like a set <laughs> number of teams. I think it was like, I think they went for the Champions League. So they had like um, mm. again Chelsea, Man United, and teams like that. Um, and yeah. it had actual photos of the players on, but I think the the latest one wow. they've not done that. Uh, but it, it, it I, no. what do you what do you make of the the latest the sort of the relaunching of it of late? Because I'm I'm not convinced. <coughs> I, I personally don't think it's going to capture kids' imagination these days. I don't know. Maybe I don't give the kids enough credit these days. But I just think <laughs> I think maybe it's time has gone. You know, it's 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 kind of of an era when you didn't have ultra realistic f- computer games where you could, you know, I mean that's that, mm. in all honesty, computer games are a kind of a natural extension of of something like Sabutio. It may not seem obvious at first, but when you yeah. think about it, the whole point of Sabutio was to try and recreate football at home. And mm. the point is, you can do yeah, that perfectly. Move the players around on the pitch. Exactly, yeah. and you can do that perfectly well with FIFA. Okay, it's a different medium, but at the same time, the end result is the same. You are recreating a game of football, but the difference is mm. FIFA is a lot more realistic. And, you, you know, you can do, you know, the goals you score are going to be a lot better. It's like if we're being honest about it much as we all love Sabutio it was very limited in, in, in realism oh sure and okay yeah. yes you can you, you could build a stadium and things like that and I think that's the thing It it it's almost become more of a collector thing you know you get it because yeah. you like the accessories and the things and, I, and certainly for me yes. as I said I didn't play it that much but I used to love collecting the stuff but I, mm. I, I and I do wonder if that's the problem these days it's is it going to be appeal more to collectors because it's 
of, of that side of it or you know, if they're trying to get kids playing it again I honestly don't know if it's going to work I know that my friend at work he's mm. recently bought his kids some Sabutio stuff for Christmas so it'll be interesting to see how he's actually gone I think from what he said I think his kid loves it so you never know there, yeah. there might be room for it so yes. what, yeah, what do I, you I, think? I, well, I got I got um, uh, Sabutio as a present for uh, the son of a friend of mine, actually. So I, I must get back to him, actually, to find out how often he's played it because um, I'm sure he's, his son particularly would, would like the whole aspect of collecting things for it. Um, but um, you're quite right. I mean, for me, it, was, it wasn't just a game. It was also a hobby because you would collect all this other stuff, all the teams and the accessories. So it had that angle to it. And, of course, which you know, what, what kids don't like collecting things so there was all that but maybe yeah, that does belong to an older era as such I mean when we when we were talking about this on the sound of football podcast last year I was quite optimistic really I was sort of saying well you know if they're if they're relaunching it again I'd like to think that um, they will be able to snap uh, young young kids of, of this day and age out of their kind of you know thing of staring at a computer screen or staring at their uh, you know xbox or whatever it happens to be and and um and actually play a game where you're physically interacting with the with the playing pieces and you're you know touching the fabric the pitch and uh, the goals and all of that kind of stuff and it's i was quite optimistic but i must admit um certainly you made a very good argument there and it, uh, there's a lot to be said for um computer games because they are immersive but in a different way and probably in a in a more comprehensive way let's face it because when you're when you're when you're um, playing a, a video game, you've got your commentary from your Martin Tyler's and the well, I was going to say the Andy Grays of this world, probably not anymore. But um, so you got you've got the commentary, you have got the sound effects in the background. Um, the graphics are incredibly real. Um, there's a lot more variety about what you can get the players to do. And let's face it, with Sabuto, it was a just you know flicking and maybe making them curl around in a kind of semicircle, which was a little uh, trick that I certainly worked on back in my day. Um, I'd like to think I mastered as well, um, but um, so yeah, there, you know, it, it's. I think it would be tricky, and I think um, Terry DeFellen, um said last year on that podcast that they probably are just relaunching it with a view to getting uh, people in their, you know, men in their forties, let's say, to to re-engage with the game again. I'm not so sure about that, but um, I'd like to think there are some kids around because you, you, you know, there's. There's been things in the past like collector cards and stickers and things, and I think there are still kids that get involved in all of that. So I'm I'm kind of hopeful that there there'll be kids that want to play Sabutio. It's just it's probably got to be marketed correctly, um, because certainly from just before when I left the UK, um, I remember seeing these new relaunched um, Sabutio sets in places like Tesco's and Sainsbury's, and you kind of think, well, all right, fine. As we said earlier on, the joy was going into, say, a, a toy shop and, and seeing a far wider range of stuff that you could buy. And it was that that was your incentive to, to get more involved in it. And I think unless they can do that and repeat that in this day and age, then they might be struggling to, to get the kids to, to, to buy it in, in this day and age. Sadly, I thought probably in all honesty those those days are probably gone because Sabutio is mm. not the force that it was and it's I don't think it's ever going to occupy the same amount of shelf space as other things do because mm. I'd say to occupy that amount of shelf space you've already got to be like the number one toy you've got to be in demand and, and Sabutio was in its day and unfortunately if mm. you're trying to relaunch that now you're you're competing against hundreds and thousands of other 
products that are just launched and unfortunately Sabutio doesn't really have the cachet anymore that it used to mm. to enable yeah. it to, to sort of you know strong arm its way into getting more space so it'd be interesting to see yeah. how it goes and like I say I, I, I don't know I'm, I'm not particularly hopeful I, th- I think its day is probably gone I think but I, I hope not. It would be nice to think that hmm. you know kids would get more into it. I just cannot see it. And and one of the things that of course computer games do get around the problem is of having people to play with. You know, if you you've yeah. either got the computer you can play with, or you go online and you've got the entire world you can play against. You know, <laughs> so it's sure it's not the same as it was. But I suppose on that, I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of debate about whether computer games, uh, you know, you know, kids end up shut-ins, but you can equally argue mm. that it's just a social because you, you end up, you know, talking to people online, you can, you know, you have games with people that you've never played with before, never met, it doesn't, you know, it's just a mm-hmm. different way of looking at it, um, so yeah, I'm just trying to sound less cynical about the modern world, you know <laughs> Well, I think maybe, um, so as not to end on too depressing a note and being as realistic as we are um, I just wanted to um, perhaps acknowledge some of the messages that we've had from our, our wonderful listeners when we, uh, as I said earlier on, we asked for your memories. Uh, we had a tremendous response. So thank you to all of you who did respond. Uh, just a summary of some of the messages we got. Um, uh, Mirko Bollison, which is our good friend Steve Gab, uh, he concurs. He said um, the fact that the actual game was awful, but the, the accessories were wonderful slash perfect. I wouldn't say the the actual game was awful, but certainly the accessories were, were very good, uh, as you say there, Steve. And he said the fact that it spawned the worst computer game of all time, which was a Subutio game on the Amiga, which I vaguely remember. Um, he sent us some pictures of it, and it does look very awful, uh, Steve. You make a great case for that one. It's, ma- it's managed to take the sort of the, the most boring aspects of Subutio and make them worse. Ah <laughs> oh dear, those were the days eh? when everything was much better. Um, uh, Stuart Mayer, thank you for your message. Uh, he said uh, you talked about Subuto Five Aside. There was a little kind of indoor version with walls and uh, like a curved curved corner, so the ball didn't ever go out. Um, and I think uh, he was surprised that we hadn't heard of it. I'd seen it before on websites, but never owned it. Uh, and they did actually do an, a version called Indoor, uh, the Indoor Edition, which had like a blue pitch. Uh, again, it was like a walled thing that was, um, would have been kind of an interesting one to play. Um, who else did we have? Uh, there we was also... a, I think one of my favourites was was Craig from Scottish Football Forums who uh, mentioned <laughs> yes. people who flick with both finger and thumb and labelled them cheats. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, the thing is, I was going to mention this. Um, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but when I played Sabutio years ago uh, with uh, the aforementioned Alan Young, um, sometimes we'd do this kind of shuffling thing, like with our, you take your index finger and you kind of form it into like an L shape, and then you kind of shuffle the the player forward like that rather than flicking it. And I realised, of course, now in my mature years, that um, that was probably completely illegal to do. But we just somehow got into the habit of doing it. So uh, <clears throat> sorry about that, everyone. I think if I, I used to do that as, as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a natural thing, I suppose, really. Um, Michael Chapman said it was even popular in the US, which um, I'm kind of surprised to hear. I I was very surprised to hear that, because of all the things, I mean, soccer has never been that popular over there anyway, um, especially if you listen to Seth Blatter these days. Um, (laughs) But the fact that a tabletop version of it is just, just surreal. (laughs) <laughs> well it's just that there are um, and always have been I think um, various 
uh, what they call table soccer associations around the world, you know, federations, so that you can join. Like, uh, there's one I saw earlier on today, believe it or not, a New Zealand table soccer federation. So, you know, I could kind of register with that and play against uh, other people in proper leagues, should I so wish to do so. And, I, and I'm sure that the US is, uh, is no different. So, I suppose in that respect, um, you know, they'd be involved, and there's probably a very healthy Sabutio playing community over there, I dare say. Um, final mention, uh, final message to go out on uh, from Neil Mason, who said, uh, You probably wouldn't be interested in how my cat urinated over the 1990 Argentina squad. Uh, well, we are actually. Uh, maybe you could send us details of that, Neil, and we'll mention it in a future podcast. <laughs> uh, or maybe we won't. I've got two more that, uh, that we had back. Um, Andrew A. Stewart said about accidentally standing on a few Soviet Union players and blue tacking their legs back together. But hey, it, <laughs> right. it was the 80s. Was it really accidental, Andrew? Uh, oh, yes. And the final one, which is actually a nice note to end on, which was uh, David Laney, aka Brizzle Kicks on Twitter, simply said, Sabutio was bloody brilliant. It certainly was. Yes, we we uh, accepted it for all its faults and all its wonderful aspects, I think it's fair to say. And uh, long may it continue. If you go onto eBay, it's all still there. If you want to re-engage with your, with your youth and, and buy all that stuff again, it's just it's all there. Just if you, help yourself. If you want to be disappointed again, buy it. <laughs> um, no, no, no. And I think on that note, seeing as we've actually run into nearly um, 65 minutes, I think we better shut up now, Chris. I know, our, our podcasts are getting longer, for which we can only apologise. <laughs> Um, so yeah um, so thanks for all your responses that we've had um, and well we'll uh, probably see you all again hopefully very soon uh, so from, from podcast, till then yeah. it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me goodbye thank you very much oh.